Welcome to the Wrong Kind of Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Martin, and I hope you're all having a wonderful week this week. I have been so looking forward to tackling this section of Hebrews with all of you. A few weeks ago, we heard the writer of the Hebrews kind of chastise the Hebrew Christians for not being ready to move out of the milk and into the meat of the teaching. And I feel like we're just about there. Like we've been building up and building up, laying the foundation of why Jesus is greater than all these other people and things. And now we're about to move into the meteor section. This week, we're finishing up Hebrews chapter 10. And, you know, I thought about moving us on into Hebrews 11 because we just have a short section of of Hebrews 10 left. But I really kind of think that this section is worthy of its own episode. And and so we're just going to concentrate on that today. So, So let's give it a go. We finished up last week talking about why Jesus had to die. And and if you haven't listened to that episode yet, or you haven't finished it, you need to pause this one, go back to that one, and then come back here afterwards. Remember how we finished it up, though. God has told us where there is forgiveness of these, talking about our sins, there is no longer a need for an offering for sin. So what does that mean for us on this side of forgiveness? Let's jump in where we left off. Verses 19 through 21. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. So we're going to stop there. And it's kind of like it's in the middle of a sentence. It's not really a full, complete thought, but but we're going to stop with uh, this section first. And I know that we know the meaning of therefore by now, but let's focus on it for just a minute. I once called it a call to action, like because we know this particular piece of information, we now are required to do this action. And we could also use that word consequently in its place. So to summarize a bit and to kind of get us going, verse 18 tells us that since there has been forgiveness of sins, there is no longer a need for sacrifice. And verse 19 starts right up with consequently, but it's a long consequently. So let's try to explain that out. Since there's been forgiveness of sins, of our sins, and since we now have a great high priest, that's Jesus, in the real original house of God, not the copy that was here on earth in Jerusalem, we have some things that we should be doing. But before we get to that, let's talk about our ability to enter holy places. Because we're covered with the blood of Jesus, we can approach the throne of God, the Father, with confidence with a boldness. There's there's no longer a need to uh to have this go between and like historically speaking, it was a big deal for the chief priest to enter the holiest of holies on the on the day of atonement because you know, no one could really enter. No one was worthy of being there. And so they would go in with these animal sacrifices and only one priest could do it and that was it, just that one person and only that one day of year. And it was it was a really um kind of a scary thing. And, and now that, that's gone from us. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But remember, Jesus is our mediator. Literally, that means that he introduced us to God, right? So why would the writer even consider a need to include this part of the book? 
Well, I think it has a lot to do with his original intention of the book, which I never want to stray away from. So my goal is always to take the original intention of the author and look at ways that it can be practically applied to our lives today. So the author is trying to encourage the Hebrew Christians to hold firm to the new covenant and not turn back to the old. That's what this whole book of Hebrews is all about. We've talked about how the old covenant required a chief priest from Aaron's line to go into the innermost room, the Holy of Holies, to offer sacrifice on the day of atonement. But when Christ was crucified, that curtain to that innermost room was literally and supernaturally torn in two, signifying that there's no longer needed to be a separation from God. We're free and, and welcome to approach the throne once we've accepted Christ's sacrifice for our sins. Charles Spurgeon has a great way of explaining it. He said, for believers, the veil is not rolled up, but rent. The veil was not unhooked and carefully folded up and put away so that it might be put in its place at some future time. Oh, no. But the divine hand took it and rent it from top to bottom. It can never be hung up again. That is impossible. Between those who are in Christ Jesus and the great God, there will never be another separation. Guys, there will never be another veil put up unless you put it there. God has wanted a relationship with us from the beginning, but with disobedience came distance. And so when Christ came and the veil was torn, we were once again free to enter his presence with confidence, just like he had always intended. Last week, I told you, not to let the guilt of your sins hold you back from that relationship with God. And I want to reiterate that this week. God won't put the veil back up. But if you let guilt keep you from him, you've put it back up yourself. There's no need to do that. You can't do anything that God hasn't seen or known. So why separate yourself from him? Repent and turn to him. Even if there are consequences for your sin, he will still see you through. Let's get back to our, our therefore are consequently. So because of all these things, there are some things that we should be doing. Verse 22 says, let us draw near with true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Okay, so that was that was more than just verse 22. Sorry, that was um, verses 22 through 25. So literally speaking, and in very simple terms, consequently, we should draw near to God, hold fast to the promises that Jesus left with us, and encourage one another. There it is. That's it. Discouragement can make us do a lot of things, can't it? Have you have you ever experienced a great discouragement? I know I can only speak for myself, but when I get discouraged, I pull away from everyone and everything, and my mind kind of replays those failures, you know, over and over again. Can anyone else relate to that? These verses here are telling us, telling me <laughs> that I'm doing it wrong, that I should be doing the exact opposite of what I feel like doing. I should go straight to God holding on to all that he's promised me through his word. And I should let others encourage me when I can't seem to see the light myself. On the other side of that, when I see others struggling with discouragement, it's my job as a disciple to encourage them, not just flippantly, you know, not just, oh, thinking of you and thoughts and prayers and, and all of that, like, not like that, but like real encouragement, like based in the word. So 
we're kind of switching gears here just a little bit. We're going from not letting your guilt keep you from God and how to avoid discouragement to the dangers of living as if our sin has no consequence because that's that's its own set of issues, right? Almost the exact opposite of where we just were. But So in chapter 10, verses 26 through 31, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Let's let's just talk about what it means to sin willfully. This is a, a deliberate action defined here in verse 29, actually. This is trampling underfoot the Son of God, profaning the blood of the covenant, and angering the Spirit of grace. It's not just any sin. It's a decision made by a person to reject the sacrifice of Christ. So it's not surprising that this writer put this into words because these were Hebrew Christians who were tempted to return to the old sacrificial system associated with Mosaic law. So he's given them all the reasons not to turn away from Jesus. But here he puts it in very simple terms for them. If you reject Jesus, there's no going back. This has nothing to do with backsliding, nothing to do with doubt. It's a purposeful renouncing of the gospel, the rejection of Lord Jesus. The idea that there is no longer a sacrifice of sins upon this clear rejection of Jesus's promises and God's grace is, listen, guys, if you think the blood of God's perfect lamb of Christ isn't saving you, there ain't nothing going to save you. There's nothing else out there that can cover your sins. You can't go back to the old covenant because because the new one's different and and you decide that it's not worth all the trouble that it's brought into your life. Ignorance may be bliss, but once that ignorance is gone, you you can't go back to not knowing, right? I feel like that last verse we read, verse 31, it's it's a heart clencher for me. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Uh yeah. It most definitely is. I think all of us will tremble with a holy fear when we approach God on his throne in heaven. But for those who have rejected him, no thanks. You you go right ahead and I'll wait back here. I don't want to be anywhere around when that person is confronted with the Lord of all creation. But we aren't finished with these harsh words. The writer brings it all back around to these Hebrew Christians by reminding them of what they've been through. And, and honestly, guys, they've been through a lot. So verses 32 through 34 say, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So he's reminding them again that they've endured a hard struggle with sufferings. And 
the words don't quite paint a picture of what they had really gone through. So many of these Hebrew Christians would have been publicly disgraced by the Jewish community, completely ostracized from their families. They've endured public humiliation, likely in grand scale. So their desire to go back to familiarity, to comfort, may be a little better understood now if we if we look at it through the lens that these guys had gone through some stuff, you know? It's not just about having some words thrown at you. It's about spending time in prison, dealing with all kinds of accusations, possibly true, but often false, and public shaming for their faith. So the author tells them, don't forget, you went through all of this for a reason. You know the reward that's waiting for you. He keeps going with this encouragement in verses 35 through 39. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So he says, consequently, Because you have endured all of this and you know what's waiting for you, don't throw away your confidence now. This is the home stretch. Now is the time for your endurance to kick in. I feel like we kind of keep cycling back through these messages here in Hebrews, right? And it goes, it goes something like this. We have warning, chastisement, encouragement to keep going. Warning, chastisement, encouragement to keep going. This is another one of those keep going moments, right? Don't give up now. This life, this walk with Jesus it's a race, sure, but it's a marathon. It seems like such a confident, bold statement that ends this section of the book. The writer puts himself in the same group of these discouraged Christians saying, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Like basically it's a rallying cry. I'm in this with you. Now let's keep going. I share the same sentiment with all of you. I'm in the study with you and I know it's a lot, but let's keep going. Let's keep digging in and gaining understanding. We will be rewarded for hiding these treasures in our hearts. I hope you all are having a great week and keeping yourselves open to the Lord's nudges in your life. This Thursday, I have a few special guests in the studio with me, my dear husband, Justin, and our friends, Pastor Kevin O'Connor and his lovely wife, Carmen. They uh, they came in over the weekend and we just kind of sat down and had a talk. And so it'll be a little bit longer than um, these Bible study episodes are, but Um, we just kind of put it all out there. You know, we're talking about living authentic lives for Christ, the difficulties that kind of surround that. And uh, they offer a little bit of a peek inside the life of a a minister and his family. So I think you guys will enjoy the conversation. Give it a listen. So make sure that you guys have um, subscribed, followed wherever you're listening to podcasts. And um, I will talk with you all then. Bye.